Hi everybody, welcome back to the Catholic Reading Challenge. We are in the month of February and we're about to talk about our first E.M. Forrester story today. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. I've never read Forrester before until I read this short story and I don't want to give anything away, but I absolutely loved it. <laughs> yes. I loved it for a lot of reasons. Uh, this was actually my, I read this story before several months ago and this is my first reading of any Forrester uh, as well. and. I thought, oh man, this is so good. And actually, this was one of the uh, one of the short stories that first popped into my head when we were talking about doing um, short stories this whole year on the podcast. And I said, well, I knew I wanted to include Forrester and this specific story, the Celestial Omnibus. So we've read it, and we're going to talk about it. And hopefully, you've read it too. If you're listening and you haven't read it, stop listening. <laughs> Go read the story. It's really short, actually. It's not that long. It's a lot yeah. shorter than the um, Flannery O'Connor short stories that we did back in January. So it took me probably, I think you could read this in a good 20, 30 minutes, depending on how quickly oh, yeah. you read. And, and uh, yeah. it's one of those that you're going to, there's going to be, um, so there's names in it, right? Uh, there's famous people or there's allusions to famous works of art, mm -hmm. music, or not poetry or or fiction and or literature and uh and so there's some things you're going to want to look up to um and to see the you know to get the full meaning um that you know it's okay to, to google these names yes you should that's what you should do you should investigate and see where you know you don't have to pretend no one's watching you don't have to act like you know all the names you can google them yes which is what we did which is yeah i didn't know like, all the names we just looked up you know what plenty of people have read the story in the decades since it's been written so there's a lot of great commentary on all these that's the beautiful thing about reading classics it's all been discussed so much that you get to read it yourself and then you go research everything you have questions about and find out even more. You know what though? I, what I try to do though when I read a, a short story is I discourage anyone from looking up a commentary or some type of article on the story before you read it. Oh, absolutely. I think you need to read these yeah. things without any type of coaching no or context, any type of yeah. analysis um, just to get lost in the narrative the way that it was meant to read. Because when these, when these stories were written, they were not written for an academic to go through it and to pick it apart, they were written for someone to to read it and to enjoy it and to foster some type of thought in, in that experience. So, yeah, when you do it afterwards, I think also you can do it to a point. But even then, um, it's funny. Like, you know, there's blind reviews where people will they'll try a bottle of wine. They'll, they'll try a they'll, right. they'll take the label off anytime we're coached at all to feel a specific way about a story, um, to think a specific way about a story before or afterhand. I think it really does. Um, shape our experience in a specific way. That doesn't mean you don't want to get involved in a larger conversation about a text or a larger conversation about the significance of a, of a, of a work of art or, or literature. That's part of the part of the process. That's part of the joy of doing it. But I do think to have a little time for it to soak in just on your own yes. is is better than okay, well what 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 is the what is the consensus on this or oh, what yeah. are people saying about this? I think more the helpful thing maybe to do um and I'll give you an example before getting into something, especially maybe if it's a bigger work. You know, short stories are a little bit um, smaller, but it, you'd still benefit from it. Um, I'm going to read the Brothers K, the Brothers Karmazov. I can never say that name right. Um, this year, and it's been kind of on my list for a while. But I listened to a really helpful webinar about um, Dostoevsky 
a few months ago and was kind of talking about this novel in just sort of setting you up for like what some things about this author's life, the context in which he wrote, um, this genre of literature. Um, sometimes that's helpful if you have absolutely no reference point for an author or for a period of time. And so that can kind of help you get your bearings on like, okay, this is the, I mean, you should at least know some basics going into it because, you know, these things were read, um, you know, right when they were published. And so the somebody who was living during that time would have more context than, than us, you know, if it was centuries or decades later. So sometimes it's helpful to just read things that are helping to orient you to the author, but not like give you, you know, you want to get some insights yourself reading it, like like you said, without oh, yeah. getting someone else's insights before you have a chance to absorb yourself, which is what this story is about. The story yeah, is about is. the love of poetry and the arts um, for what they are, for the yeah. pleasure of it themselves, not for what they, you know, not like this pompous man, right? What was Mr. the teacher's Bonds. name? Mr. Bonds? Mr. Bonds, which, so as I was looking up after reading the story, looking up some things about it, is uh, there is a reference, like Bond being in French, uh, the word for good, um, but then it's also snob spelled backwards. So, oh, I didn't even see that. Yeah, you're right. So I, I didn't see that either. I just, I looked this up. So, you know, this helpful governor. So it's interesting. You have a character here who's just hoity-toity and, and really... He's the worst. With, <laughs> consumed with the fact that he he's just so impressed with himself and what he knows <laughs> and and oh he's just so wise, right? He just has such depth of knowledge, but it's so interesting how impoverished he is. Yeah, his his soul is um very poor and he lacks joy and he lacks happiness and the juxtaposition of how he thinks he's supposed to act compared to this just natural reaction of the child yes, uh, when he experiences these figures of uh, from literature and just this pure joy and this innocence and this wonder. Um, but when I got done with this, this story, and it's interesting, I always kind of take a big picture view of things. And that's why I love when we do this, because Jessica is much better at pointing out specifics. And I always want to jump to this, this, this big takeaway. Well, they're, you know, both things. Yeah. I think the, and they, and they work with, with one another. You, you don't really have the takeaways unless you have those examples. And that's mm-hmm. why I, I love reading stuff with you. Right. But, um, as a teacher, this, this short story really summarized or was a, was a, a kind of a, an example of my view of what the goal of education is. And I always think yes. the goal of education is a sense of wonder I remember when our first child Absolutely. was going to be born, and Jessica signed us up for all these classes at the hospital. We were sounds like an indictment. No one bad. No, actually, I, I highly recommend it. If you're going to have a kid, it's funny. Like we just sold a um, an elliptical. I just sold an elliptical on Facebook Marketplace. I never did that before, and it sold in like 24 hours. It was awesome. And I was just showing the people outside how to operate the elliptical and it was a little bit a little bit difficult and I was trying to figure out what the user manual is. If you need a user manual to operate an elliptical, you might want to attend a class before you, you your wife gives birth. Like I don't think that's too much to ask to you might want to do a little prep, read oh, a few I books. Right. Like if we're gonna if yeah. if you're gonna, you know, have a, a yeah, manual good, for right? a, a toaster oven, then it's okay. So I had no problem with the classes. Okay, good. But I remember this one time they were they were giving us a tour of the actual labor um, labor delivery floor like floor in, yeah. in the hospital and they took us into this classroom and they 
they said, hey, what is the one wish you have for your kid? And everyone was going around. And we were about, we were towards the end. They got to us. And people were saying things like, I want, I want him to be happier. I want her to be, um, you know, intelligent. Or I want her to be kind. Or I want him to be playful. Healthy. A lot of people Yeah, healthy. That's like, a big yeah. one. Like, you want a healthy kid, which I think is a, yeah. is a good one. They got to me. I knew immediately what I wanted for my child. And they got to me. They said, I want my, my child to have a sense of wonder. Yeah. His that. entire life. No, we knew it was a boy. That's why I'm using that pronoun. Um, I'm not saying that all kids are anyways. Um, yeah, we wanted, um, we wanted Ty to have this sense of wonder. And my goal as a teacher is that sense of wonder. And, and we just got done reading Gorgias, which we read last year in the Catholic reading challenge. And I liked it so much. I added it to the syllabus of my second semester class with with my students. students. And when Socrates says, um, you know, I don't really know much. You can read that as him doing this false sense of humility, and that would be an incorrect reading of Socrates. He's really yeah. saying that, I mean, knowledge and the discovery of, of God's creation is endless. And Mr. Bonds wants to, to master knowledge and literary expertise for a sense of vanity, for a sense of ego, for a sense of position. Well, not um, only does he want to master it, he thinks he has, yeah. right? And when he actually encounters the real people and the real characters, he doesn't even know how to, how to handle it. Um, and gets thrown back to earth to his death at the end of the end of the story. And the boy just encounters these people. The, the end when the boy thinks clearly this procession and par- parade is for Mr. Bonds. And the first time he went up to, which I guess we're calling heaven, right? Yeah. Um, all he could say is, oh, my teacher, Mr. Bonds, you have to meet him. You don't want to meet me. He's the one that knows all about you. And and when they went back up there, he thought the parade was for Bonds. And I love that end at the, the line at the very end where they put the laurel wreath on his head, like yeah. crowning the child with his childlike heart. And we see that even in, in the gospel, right? You come to me with the heart of a child. Yes. Um, and it is so easy. You know, we all are so worried about what people think. And I can fall into this trap. I've actually gotten better at this as I've gotten older because there's such a futility <laughs> in trying to, to be impressive. There's such a futility in trying to be um, hip and to, to know what you're supposed to know. But just to the sense of wonder and to read literature and have bring joy. And actually, when I read the Celestial Omnibus, the great thing is I felt like that little kid yeah. when I got to the end of the story. I, it was just so life-giving. Um, and wonderful. And one of the th- I underlined something at the very end that uh, I think when Achilles is basically chastising um, or correcting Mr. Bonds, Mr. Bonds screamed, I see no one, I see nothing, and I want to go back. And then he cried to the driver, save me. Let me stop in your chariot. I have honored you. I have quoted you. He's talking to Dante. Yeah. yeah. I have bound you in vellum. Take me back to my world. And the driver replied. Oh, so Dante's the driver. Dante's I didn't pick driver. up on that. On the second driver's well, Dante. They call him Dan because the kid can't read, doesn't know. Okay, that makes a lot that yeah. makes a lot more sense. Oh man, now it just got even better. See? Oh yeah. Well that's why I mean, Dante. Well, sh- should we go go ahead and read? Can I read the receipt? Yeah. So take me that. back to the my world. The driver replied, I am the means and not the end. I am the food and not the life. Stand by yourself as that boy has stood. I cannot save you. For poetry is a spirit, and they that would worship it must worship it in spirit and truth. And what a what a beautiful, beautiful line. Well, since you since you mentioned Dante, so that's the second driver when they go back. So he, he has um so the boy who he is not named in this story, but the boy his when he first goes, 
his first omnibus driver is uh, Thomas Brown. So the seventeenth century physician. I really liked. Thinker. I really liked him. He was a funny guy. Yes. So obviously he doesn't know who any of these people are. Remember that line where he says, um, "I sent a lot of people to heaven, yes. basically before me, like yes. as a doctor. I'm much better as a. Yeah. I'm much better as someone who transports the soul." So Post funny. death than, than taking care of the the body before death. So so that was the um that's the first driver. So then when he takes Mr. Bonds back with him, as soon as they get into the second omnibus with the second driver, um, Mr. Bonds immediately recognizes Dante. So he sees his face and totally knows exactly who he is, and he can't believe that. That's when he starts freaking out and think, okay, mate, this is all. It's funny the way that they they describe Dante because he's not very attractive. And if you've ever seen that famous painting of Dante, yeah. the the one it's the side of his of his face, it almost looks like he's it looks like he's wearing iPods. If you look at it, because he has oh, these really? like strings coming down, that's really funny. I wonder if they base that um, the 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 depiction of him in this story on that actual work of art. I gotta find it. I'll tell you what it is. I'm gonna look it up as Jess is doing her well, thing. Well, so 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 Dante is the second driver. And if you remember, as they're on that bus, um, well, as they're on the bus with Dante as the second driver, and I'm just finding it here, um, there's something written across the door um, in Latin, right? Um, and so I'm just going to find it and, and, and read it. Although even though I'm doing Latin with the kids, I, uh, here it is. Um, I'm not going to pronounce it right, so you guys just um, bear with me. Lasiate Agni Baldanza Voyai Che Antrate. Okay, I probably that was, that was very that. good. But it what what he said there in the story means this: abandon all self-importance, you who enter here. <laughs> However, Mr. Bonds is correct because is correct that he says, "Oh, that's the wrong word. They've messed they've messed yeah, the word up." Abandon it's, all hope. It's right? Speranza mm-hmm. hope. And so, but he's so dense and full of that he himself doesn't get that, that he doesn't get the pun that Dante's talking to him. That he's making you, fun You know of what's him. funny? And yes. I don't want to take it back to one of our um, Mount Rushmore's of the podcast, but if you've read C.S. Lewis's um, The Great Divorce, uh-huh. there's a bus and it takes you oh, to yeah. And I wonder if he was influenced by this specific short story. But I can't imagine that he wasn't because it had a very a Lewis time. feeling. When I read it, yeah. I kept on thinking of it. But one thing that you, you encounter, that's one of my all-time favorite books. And um, the, the people who get off the bus, like they're encountered by the thing that they need to deal with before they can enter oh, heaven. And all of them, almost all of them, except maybe one person, rejects the, the means to, to salvation. Like mm-hmm. they're confronted with their selfishness or their cover, they're um, confronted with their self-importance. Right. And it was interesting to, to see that with Bonds. He was Dante, one of his literary heroes, was saying, if you want to get in here. Well, it's it funny because the band in All Hope, that's that's in the the, the Inferno. Inferno, exactly. So, so it's you're like, going to hell. Exactly. Here, in band and self-importance, you get to go to heaven. heaven. Exactly. But if your self-importance is is paramount and you can't abandon that then clearly you don't want heaven right you don't you don't, you don't want to go to paradise well and we see from the get-go as soon as they get to as soon as the boy says here we are we're coming upon it you know here's all this stuff we see that bonds doesn't see any of it doesn't see any of it doesn't mm-hmm. hear any of it um so he he's not 
he doesn't have the childlike heart. He doesn't have the right posture at all. So he he doesn't he's not seeing any of it. He's not even set up to witness or be participate. Just a real quick reference: the portrait of Dante is by am I saying Botticelli? Is that right? And it's from fourteen ninety five. This yes, is the same Botticelli, one Botticelli mm-hmm. where he has that kind of those deep set eyes and that the Roman nose. Oh yeah, it's wonderful. And those those look like iPod headphones, but they're you mean just, the white cap he is wearing underneath yeah. his well, headdress? Yeah. I think they do, which I'm sorry. That might mean I'm ruined by pop culture. That's a modern, modern reading of the, of the art. Um, okay, so, yes, yeah, so Dante was a key figure here. Let's back up talking about, you know, Mr. Bonds' posture. Let's talk about the parents here and the whole world. This is the part, gosh, the whole beginning of this story really it's just it's so eerie to me when like this when like earlier in the last century you have writers who are picking up on the really sad educational system in our view of like of knowledge like the, these things were actually happening it's almost prophetic strangely prophetic when we look at the way culture views things now i feel like we've just had this well i mean it's even worse in terms of the way that we view um, the arts and poetry and so the parents we see in that when it says section three of the story right at the beginning of section three when the boy is back right he's come back and his parents are he's being punished for telling such fibs and it says learning poetry for a punishment isn't this just the most exasperating thing when you read that line this idea that Oh, we're going to make him learn poetry. That'll teach him. It's funny. Dr. McMahon at DeMatha, um, he doesn't allow you to do writing assignments as a punitive measure. Yeah. Because it associates writing with punishment. And that's the last thing that you want to do is make someone feel that writing is punishment or more reading of poetry is punishment. Yeah. Because that shows you that that when, when poetry becomes a means to an end in the sense of, well, it's either for your pride or your ego, or it's a punishment for this some type of, I don't know, this this education that you're supposed to receive, rather than the actual joy of poetry itself. We've we've missed the bus, and that's my big criticism. When you watch TV, the only schools that seem to matter in all these commercials are STEM schools. So, right. and you have to understand if you have to be blind to not see that that's connected to a vision of education that's completely driven by economic participation and preparing the student to be a cog in, in the economic marketplace. And well, you have to learn STEM so you can do development because development right. is how we people make a lot of money. Um, and I'm not saying that's not to, to disregard all the sciences, but what makes life beautiful, right? Um, well, we need to be, you know, just recently gave a talk about this locally, we're to be contemplative people. Like yeah. we have, we, 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 we need to, we need to be filled with the reason we read poetry and works and take in ter- works of ours because they feed our ability to be contemplative people. But if the world is not beautiful, right, what is the, what is the point of STEM? What is the point of progress? What is the right. point of doing these things if there's not this greater movement towards goodness, this greater movement towards truth? And when when education becomes a means to an end, rather than the end is wonder, the end is the discovery of existence. And again, taking it back to Socrates, when he's in conversation with someone, he actually, he never, he's totally sincere. He wants to learn if he is wrong. Um, it's never becoming, it's never this ego contest. 
And imagine if like in life and in education, in the classroom, any of those people who are in graduate programs, I mean, Jessica, you were in a PhD program and you were actually in a PhD program where it didn't suffer from the same extent of, of um, being pedantic and um, self-absorbed as some PhD programs. Yeah, but there's I mean, people I've talked to yeah. in academia, like if I don't say the thing the right way, like oh, goodness. It's, that's, that's more important than my actual impression or what I think of. And it just stinks. Oh, yeah. It's horrible. Well, and it's so taking going back to the text and the way it represents the way poetry is talked about, right? So the boy has been, this has been his experience in life. Um, he's been, he's been learned to, it's almost like, and the parents come from a background too, right? Where they're, they're middle class and it's kind of like Mr. Bonds is like, is this literary, head of the literary society, right? And, uh, oh, he's coming to tea and we need to put our best face forward. And the mother even says, oh, we have Shelly on our shelves. We actually have two copies. And then Mr. Bonds, you know, pompously retorts, oh, well, I have seven, you know, like <laughs> such a snob. But so the, even I think the parents, the parents clearly don't read poetry. It's like, but they, they're kind of like, well, we should have it on our shelves to impress these other people. They don't love it or enjoy it. Um, and then we'll make our kid, you know, do it because he should. He should, mm -hmm. he should kind of have certain knowledge, and and then this will be, you know, sort of a punishment. So the kid has is a little bit familiar with some poetry, whatever he's had. And so when he's back, when he's in the room with Mr. Bonds, while the parents have gone out, you know, to get the whiskey, and he's made to recite his poem poetry as a punishment for Mr. Bonds, right? And at, in the middle of reciting it. Um, well, and I'll read it for context. He's talking about, he says, to visit dolphin coral in deep seas, said the boy, and burst into tears. Come, come, why do you cry? Because, because all these words that only rhymed before, now that I've come back, they're me. And Mr. Vaughn says, what do you mean they're you? But the boy suddenly had an awakening that no one had ever told him before. This poetry meant something, it was real. It was talking about something that was real. And he just realized that he's having this awakening that this means something and I can, and Mr. Bonds who has studied all this all his life has no no sense of that whatsoever. It's, but it's, it's remarkable. It's also saddening because this is absolutely still the case in education today. The way that we approach the arts and literature, the liberal arts, the, the way that we teach subjects is this thing to be gotten through, knowledge to be possessed for the sake of posture is just so sad. And it's I, so sad. It is sad. And I'll tell you what I've also seen, and I don't mean to be critical of, of everyone and everything, but you even see a movement in Catholic circles to this aesthetic of classical education. But when I meet these people sometimes that are involved in class, classical education, <laughs> It doesn't seem like the goal of it is this is this joy and this human flourishing. It seems like there's a rigor that you're supposed to do because this is Catholic. And they're not actually really asking the ultimate question of why are we doing this? It's kind of a hip thing to do and you're supposed to do it and it's going to make your kid better and it's going to make your kid good. And it's almost they equate this idea of, of um, this pedagogical approach to becoming like a good person and a good good citizen. But... There has to be a movement. There has to be a movement in education to, towards joy. We were created for happiness. And I was talking to someone about this the other day. What, what is the, the goal? What was the human experience supposed to look like? And think about the Garden of Eden before, before the fall. 
there was no um, utilitarian function. That right. wasn't the, the movement of existence. Right. The movement of existence was the enjoyment of a relationship with God and one another. And our correct anthropology is that. And that doesn't mean that we don't need some type of skill or art to be able to participate in. But even that should bring about beauty and goodness. And our, our churches and our schools have to be places of joy. They have to be places of playfulness. They have to be places where the heart is warmed. And too often, they're not. They're places of rigor. They're places where you might get the form right, but you're missing the spirit because um, you're so dedicated to the form. And this story is another reminder of that. The, the boy in this story, this movement towards joy, that is the goal of education because that is the goal right. of our existence. Well, it's joy because it's natural contemplation. What is this boy doing? What? Why is he joyful? He's spending time meditating on the beauties that he's experienced. That is what it is. He's And he's telling other people about them. He's living this very missional existence since he comes back from his trip on the omnibus, isn't he? But you don't want to be, you don't want to be too enthusiastic. You don't want to be too happy. You got to be, you have to be. Um, well, isn't that the father's voice? Super serious. Like, him and making him feel silly. The idea that you're excited about something. Oh, calm down. When <laughs> we need, what we need more than anything is people passionate and excited about something. And yeah, th this story just nails it on, on so many levels. And um this gets to the root of what it means to be human um, and that comparison between that childlikeness and that stiff, old, arrogant, academic um, old guy who at the end of the story we read in the newspaper that his uh, body, or was it found? Like in some kind of factory? I, yeah, I'm trying. No, the I very, think very it was end. found at the same part place. Yeah, Here, I don't know. I have it right Does here. It say, me, yeah, do you have it pulled look up? It up? I'm trying to remember exactly where they found him, but I do remember that he... That, uh, From the Kingston Gazette, um, the Subwritten Times, and the Paynes Park Observer. Yeah, so this is often this. The body of Mr. Septimus Bonds has been found in a shockingly mutilated condition in the vicinity of Bermondsey Gasworks. Yeah. I guess that's like a factory. Yeah. The deceased pocket contained a sovereign purse, a silver cigar case, a Bujo pronouncing dictionary, and a couple of omnibus tickets. The unfortunate gentleman had apparently been hurled from a considerable height. <laughs> Foul play is suspected, and a thorough investigation is pending by the authorities. So obviously he falls and has both return tickets. And I guess the boy stays up there. And the boy is there. And which, you know, the boy never wanted to leave the first time, but the only reason he did was because he felt sure that Mr. Bonds and his parents would want to know about this place. And everyone up there warned him. No, they're, they're not, not going to want to know. They're not going to be interested. They're they're not going to believe you, right? Jessica, you pick out the best stories. And every time <laughs> I read these stories, it's like there's this thing that happens to my heart, like the way that beautiful things take place. And Gorgias was one step in this. The Flannery O'Connor stories, this is a little bit more um, light than those. But, um, yeah, like this kid, like the point of existence, the point of education, being a teacher, this just has inspired me to go back to the classroom to create an environment um, that that kid would like, right? Like the creative environment where that kid would thrive and hopefully appoint my students and my colleagues and myself and my friends and family to that direction of just joy and wonder, which is at the basis. Hey, we're going to live forever, right? Yeah. Life is infinite. So you better love discovery <laughs> because right. if you don't love discovery and you don't love and you don't have wonder, I don't think you're ultimately going to be happy. And you're going to look at eternity as a burden rather than an opportunity to explore this infinite um, 
existence that that is God and that God created. Yeah, and we have like what we're supposed to be doing here is just simply practicing for how we're going to live for eternity in heaven. And I think children, you know, as an educator myself of like of our kids, it's so interesting that children children naturally have this. We start off with the wonder. Our educational systems and our us as adults have often killed it in as uh, the prophet. Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain once said, I never let schooling get in the way of my education. And I tell my students that probably once once a week. Um, and don't let schooling get in the way of your education. And hopefully um, you're, you're in a place in, in your life. If you're not, wonder. Um, create wonder for your children. Create wonder for yourself. Create wonder just in, in everything you do. Um, because I think it, it's, it's one of the, the sure roads to, to happiness and to sainthood. Yeah, and I think for us in education, there might be a lot of people listening too who are teachers or professors, and um, or writers of some kind. You're you're involved in helping to form people in in various educational formational environments, and this is our role to you know push to introduce and invite people to truth, beauty, and goodness, and realize that it's. Um, it's for the pleasure of these things themselves and for no other reason. So we don't, I think we clearly see in Mr. Bonds who, who we never want to come close to becoming, right? Very cool. Well, uh, a great first story for our man Forrester. We're gonna, what's the second one so we're reading? So the second one we're reading this month is The Machine Stops. And this is going to be a very... Uh, a little bit futuristic from I haven't read it yet. This is going to be, I think, a little bit futuristic and very uh, prophetic again, I think, as to our technological social media absorbed times, maybe. Um, but Jessica, what are you talking about? That's all led to happiness. <laughs> Everyone's super happy with their technology. So next time we'll be discussing The Machine Stops by E.M. Forster. So go ahead, find your copy. Um, I listed some resources if you haven't found them yet on jessicatomey.com. And we will see you next time for that discussion. Hey, one uh, quick thing, Jessica forgot to mention this. So her book um, will be released and oh, yes. um, will be printed like traditional well, the, publishing in May. Well, the print copy will be released in May. May. Yeah, you Amazon. can get that on Amazon. Yeah. But right now, if you're a Kindle reader, you can get it on um, Amazon right now on Kindle. That's so. right. It just uh, last week or yeah. two weeks ago came out on the Kindle version on Amazon. So that is ready. And if you do happen to download it and start reading and enjoy it, I would love it if you would post a review on Amazon. That would help other people find it. Great. God bless. Take care.